Well, it's Monday, so it must be Philippians. So um, if you're like me, I've been coming to every Monday and hearing Philippians preach, but I, I think I've lost the train of thought of the book of Philippians because, you know, we only do this on Mondays. So I thought I, we'd start by kind of seeing where we've been, a little review of Philippians in a nutshell. So the book of Philippians is basically a thank you letter. The Philippian church had sent Paul a care package. Paul is in jail. Now, jail back then wasn't like jail now. Uh, sometimes, well, we call it prison when you go to jail for a very, very long time. But jail was basically where you went before some Roman official sentenced you. And they didn't have, um, you know, a cafeteria back then in jail, wherever you were. And so if you didn't have a friend on the outside, you might really suffer. Um, I mean, you suffered anyway. They didn't have the kinds of uh, basic standards that we have in, in our, our uh, country today. So if you were in a Roman prison, there's a good chance you were, you were not having a good time. Uh, and so Paul's in jail when he writes Philippians, and the Philippians once again have come through uh, for him. Now, I don't know whether you've read Paul's letters lately, uh, but it seems to me that Philippian, the Philippian church was the church that Paul felt probably the closest to. He had problems with a lot of churches. Even though he'd founded them, he had problems with them. He'd founded churches in Galatia, but they gave him problems. Read Galatians. He, had, he founded Corinthians, but they really gave him problems. I mean, read, read 1 Corinthians. I, I'm, I'm sad for them, but I'm so glad they were such mess-ups. The Corinthian church was completely messed up. Uh, and there's all kinds of great stuff we know about the early Christians that we just wouldn't know if it weren't for the fact that the Corinthians were so messed up. I mean, there was a guy sleeping with his father's wife at the Corinthian church. Um, but Paul doesn't really have any uh, harsh words to say for the Philippian church. The Philippian church has supported Paul over and over and over again. Now, Paul didn't take, I don't know if you've noticed this, Paul didn't take support from the churches he was at. He only took support from churches maybe he'd been before. This is because you've heard the saying, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Uh, sometimes it's hard to speak the truth to somebody who's, you know, paying your, your living. Uh, and so Paul worked with his hands when he was at a particular church. And, and yes, he would take some support from churches he'd been at before. So the Philippian church was like the best of all Paul's churches. This may have been the church where Luke was from, uh, for example. And so Philippians is perhaps one of the warmest of Paul's letters, of all Paul's letters. It's, a, it's the memory verse capital of Paul's letters, all kinds of great memory verses. Uh, and so, again, I, if you haven't already, please read through all of, all of Philippians. So there are two basic themes that Paul covers in Philippians. The first is, he says, rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. You know the, you know the song? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Clap, clap. That's, that's, that's right there uh, in Philippians chapter 4. Um, and now that we are thinking about the fact that he was in prison or in jail when he wrote this, it's even more striking because this is not a guy who's on the beach in Fort Lauderdale uh, where I grew up. Um, that's not where Paul is uh, when he's writing Philippians. He's in jail. And so for him to say rejoice is especially significant because he's, he doesn't really have anything to rejoice when he's writing the letter. And yet it's in Philippians 4 uh, where we read those great verses, I've learned to be content no matter what my circumstances. If Paul could be content when he's in jail, then I sure know that I can be content with my life. I, I find a hard time being content. I don't know, I'm, I'm sure you're not like me, but I'm a complainer. I, 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 I complain. 
Um, it's, it's one of my worst sins is that I complain. I, I try not to complain too much in public, um, but, but I, I, I'm a gruffy bear. Um, but, but Paul says that no matter what your circumstances are, you can be content. I don't know if you've heard of Viktor Frankl. Uh, Viktor Frankl uh, was a, a Jewish man who was in a concentration camp uh, during uh, uh, the, the kind of Holocaust. And, you know, I'm sure that he, he got to the point to where it's like, why am I even living? Well, you know, what, what's the point of all this? I should just give up and die. But he, he has an expression. I don't know if you've, you've heard this quote from him. A person can live with any how if they have a why. If you have a reason to live, then you can be content no matter your circumstances. He, he wasn't a Christian, but he could have been quoting the Apostle Paul. I have learned to be content no matter what my circumstances. So, uh, this rejoicing is one of the main themes of the book of Philippians. And we see this especially in chapter 1 where Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, those aren't, if I'm honest, those probably aren't my priorities. To die is gain? Really? I mean, I, I kind of don't want to die. Uh, I, I drove, home, drove home from Georgia yesterday while you were, up, were without power. I was driving through this, this uh, thunderstorm that g- took away your power. Uh, and I was thinking, I could die. You know, this is, this is pretty serious. Um, and, and it was really an onslaught. But I, I wasn't thinking, I should have been thinking because of this sermon, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, actually, that's not our priorities, is it? That actually it is better to be with Jesus than to be here. That's not the way I usually think. I don't think it's the way many of us think, but that's what Paul says in Philippians. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's pretty convinced God's going to let him live because his ministry to the Philippians wasn't over. So rejoicing is one of the themes of of Philippians. Another theme is unity, and we saw this especially in chapter 2. Paul says we should be of one mind, we should be of one spirit. He, He even has this word, if you break the words apart, it's one soul. We should all have one soul. That sounds really deep, that we should all here at Indiana Wesley and all of us Christians should have one soul. I don't know what that looks like, but it sounds really nifty. Um, so Paul, unity is another one of the, the, the main themes. He says we should have this mind that Jesus had. Jesus, of course, was God. Jesus had all the rights and privileges pertaining to divinity. Um, he could have anything he wanted. If he wanted to have you know, bananas foster for breakfast every day. He's God. He can do it. Uh, but, but Jesus did not take advantage. He did not exploit this privilege that was given to him, but he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. And so, in chapter 2 of Philippians, we see this emphasis on how we need to be of one spirit, and we need to be like Jesus and submit ourselves to each other. Then we get to chapter 3, which is where the sermon uh, today is from in the end of chapter 3. Chapter 3 is a little bit of a diversion. Uh, Paul stops for a moment from talking about rejoicing and talking about unity, and Paul warns them about people who would corrupt their faith by trying to distract them to the earthly. And so, Paul is, of course, a Jew. Paul doesn't hate Jews. Paul is a Jew. Um, the, most of the first Christians were Jews. And yet what Paul says in the beginning of Philippians 3 is he has a pretty good resume. Paul gives his resume at the beginning of of Philippians chapter 3. He basically says, I was pretty good. Uh, I was the best thing. You know, I was, as far as righteousness on the human level, I got an A+. But he says that when you put that on the scales of what counts before God, my righteousness, a Jew was just little tiny righteousness. 
you know, my righteousness of Christ is like huge. And so when you put the righteousness of Christ on the one side of the scale and my righteousness on the other scale, it's like this. I might as well not have any righteousness at all. Paul says, whatever was to my credit, whatever I might have said, I'm pretty neat. Whatever he might have said about that, nothing. It, it, it's nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of Christ. And that's kind of where we come into uh, today's scripture, was in, which is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. And I'd like to read that to you. Brothers and sisters, join in following my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. Because there are many people, as I've often told you, and I'm telling you now even in tears, there are many people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. They set their minds on earthly things. Our citizenship, where we belong, our citizenship is in heaven. And we're waiting for Jesus, eagerly waiting for Jesus to come back, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when he comes, Jesus will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that he has given to subject everything to himself. Well, he says some things here. First of all, anybody doubt that there are enemies of the cross of Christ? There are enemies of the cross of Christ. For Paul, they were very real. They were keeping him in jail, for example. Paul, who exactly is he talking about here? I think probably the Romans would qualify in there a little bit, since they're the one holding him in prison. But also, this whole chapter has been about those um, who were Jews. Again, it's not the fact that they were Jews that was bad, but there were some Jews who believed that unless you became a Jew, unless you became circumcised, a very painful operation for a man, um, that unless you, you were really serious, if you were really serious about Jesus, you would get circumcised and become a Jew. There were people saying this. They were saying, unless you're in our group, unless you're in our Jewish group, you're either second class or you're, you're not a Christian. And so Paul clearly, in some of his writings, considered them to be enemies of the cross of Christ. So he means, it applies to lots of different people. Some enemies of the cross of Christ are non-Jews, like the Romans. Some enemies of the cross of Christ are Jews who don't believe in Jesus. And some enemies of the cross of Christ, according to Paul, were Jews who believed that if you weren't in their group, then you weren't really right with God. What does it mean their God is their belly? I suppose that's my, one of my, another one of my great sins is eating. We, we weren't allowed to do a lot of things growing up, but we were allowed to eat to our content. In fact, we were allowed to eat beyond our content. Probably gluttony is one of my other uh, besetting sins. Um, who, what does he mean when he says their God is their belly? He probably just isn't referring to people who eat a lot. He's probably referring to people who prioritize their their physical and, and fleshly desires. There are all kinds of fleshly desires. I won't go into them. You probably know what they are. Um, there are people who worship their what they can do with their body. They worship their pleasure, uh, whether it be eating or some other kind of pleasure, but they put that above their serving of Christ. He may have also meant some of these Jews who believed, if you don't eat the right things, you can't eat with me, uh, because we read about some of them in the early church too. There were some people who called themselves Christians who basically said, unless you non-Jews will eat the way I eat, I'm not going to eat with you. I'm not going to have communion with you unless you eat the things that I eat. And Paul may have had them partially in mind. Their God is their belly. Well, 
The phrase that most stood out to me, you might not be surprised, in this passage is, our citizenship is in heaven. This is the phrase that sticks out to me the most as, as the most pointed kind of statement that Paul makes, given our current context. Is our citizenship in heaven? Where is our true and ultimate citizenship? Where is it located? Is it located somewhere here on earth, in one of the groups to which we belong? Or is my citizenship in heaven because that's where it ultimately is supposed to be? So what is in the bubble above Paul's head when he says our citizenship is in heaven? You know, like a comic book. What, what is Paul thinking when he says our citizenship is in heaven? He probably means a couple of different things. For him, probably he thought of Jerusalem. He probably thought my citizenship is not ultimately as a Jew in the, ci- in the city of Jerusalem way over there. My citizenship is in the heavenly Jerusalem where Jesus is. And what I take away from this is, no matter, probably the closest parallel today is, we all probably belong to different religious groups. I mean, we do. I mean, Indiana Wesleyan University is a kind of religious group, isn't it? We've come here, it's a Christian college, this is a kind of religious group. I'm a, I'm a Wesleyan, so I belong to a Wesleyan a religious group. I go to College Wesleyan Church, so that's a kind of religious group. Those are visible Wesleyan groups, or visible Christian kinds of groups. One of my takeaways from our citizenship being in heaven is we must never confuse these earthly religious groups with the true church. We should never confuse some visible group of earthly people with the true church and kingdom of God that is in heaven. So not everybody who goes to College Wesleyan will be in the kingdom of God. I mean, it's a I hope so, but probably not, not going with the odds. Not everybody who's in the Wesleyan church, as great as it may be, not everybody who's in the Wesleyan church is a true citizen of heaven. Not everybody who's at Indiana Wesleyan University is truly a citizen of heaven. This is, I think, the closest parallel to the Jerusalem church dynamic that Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. It's not down here. I I doubt that you do this. I think, I think that, that uh, it's mostly people my age and older who used to confuse the group you belong to, the Christian group you belong to, with the kingdom of God, as if, well, they're not Wesleyans, so they're probably not Christians. I, I kind of grew up with that. As, as it turns out, there were lots of Christians in my high school, but I didn't think so because they weren't Wesleyan. You know, that's, that's the wrong way to think because our citizenship is in heaven. It's not down here in Jerusalem. It's not, well, they didn't go to India. They went to Taylor. Obviously, they're not in the kingdom of God. No, that's, that's not the way it works. Uh, the kingdom of God is, it is visible in a way. It's visible in the sense that if you're not actually meeting in community with other Christians, that's, that's a problem. But in terms of who is truly in, who are the wheat, uh, as uh, Mark, Matthew 13 talks about, who are the wheat? You can't tell. You can't tell. God knows. God is the one who knows who is truly in the, in the citizens of heaven and who isn't. But we must never, and I think this is what I, the main takeaway I want you to take from this morning, we must never confuse any earthly group with the true kingdom of God. We must never confuse any earthly group with the true citizens of heaven. Some of you have probably had a flu shot. How many of you have had a flu shot? Okay. Um, 
You're, you're good. But I didn't know that. I mean, some of us were destined to get sick this winter, and you're not. Um, and how did we know? Um, we couldn't see it. The kingdom of God is not something that you can see by looking at a person. You can't, they may pray. They may do lovely Christian things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we can't see heaven. So we must never confuse, first of all, the kingdom of God and our citizenship with some visible group. Whether you're Wesleyan or Baptist or Roman Catholic or you go to College Wesleyan or you go to Lakeview or you go to Brookhaven or you go to some other church um, or whether you're at Indiana Wesleyan or you're at Taylor, we must never confuse a group with the kingdom of God. But there's probably a second thing here. Philippi. Where is Philippi? Philippi is in kind of Macedonia in the north of, of Greece. Philippi was a special city. I don't know if you know this. Philippi was a Roman colony. It was a special Roman citizen uh, city. If you were a citizen of the city of Philippi, you were automatically a citizen of the Roman Empire. That's because Philippi was founded by ex-soldiers. The Romans had this great retirement plan if you wanted to be a soldier. It was a great way to climb up the, the, the social ladder. If you fought in the Roman ar armies, a lot of times they would give you land and citizenship in some city that they founded somewhere. And Philippi was a Roman colony. If you were a citizen of Philippi, you were a Roman citizen. That gave you special rights. So, like, it took Paul a while to figure this out, but if he told the people who were about to beat him that he was a Roman citizen, they couldn't beat him. Um, he had, there had to be a trial first. But if you weren't a Roman citizen, they could beat you all and kill you if you weren't a Roman citizen. There were privileges to being a Roman citizen in the ancient world. Um, and so some of the Philippian church may very well have been Roman citizens. And when Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven, that would have especially stood out to them. Because it would have said to them that even though I am a citizen of the city of Philippi, even though I am a Roman, I'm a Roman citizen. Not everybody's a Roman citizen. Most people aren't. I'm a Roman citizen. Paul says, our citizenship is not here on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. Well, I think you can see kind of where this train of thought, thought goes. I'm very excited to have grown up, you know, in the United States. I've lived a privileged life. I'm incredibly grateful to the Lord uh, for where I've grown up. And I don't think that there's any shame in being excited about the groups to which you belong. So I'm kind of excited about growing up in the Wesleyan Church. I mean, 150 years ago, we were against slavery. That's, that was pretty good. You know, 150 years ago, we were in favor of women, women getting able to vote. You know, we, we ordained women long before it became cool. Uh, we were ordaining women back in the late 1800s. You know, now it's popular. Back then, you know, we were, the, you know, we were, I've got some things to be proud of, right? I'm a Wesleyan. Um, and so I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm a little British, got a little Scottish in me, got a little German, got a little Dutch. You know, uh, those are things that my dad fought in World War II, you know. Uh, so, I mean, I don't think that we, we have to be, we don't have to be ashamed of the fact that we come from a certain group. Um, but here's the thing. There is no earthly group that is pure enough to be compared with the kingdom of God. There is no earthly group, no earthly group, no matter how good it is, there is no earthly group that can be compared with the kingdom of God. Every group has some shame because every group has people in it. 
and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you know when Paul says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23? If you read the verses coming up to it, he's been talking about how being a Jew doesn't give you a free ticket into the kingdom of God because Jews have sinned just like Gentiles have sinned. And so when he says all have sinned, you know, we as Westerners, we think all individuals have sinned. Well, that's, that's true. But what Paul is thinking is all have sinned, both Jew and Gentile. There is no group that is without sin. There is no group that is without shame. Again, I'm, I'm very excited that I, I grew up in, in the United States. It takes us a while, but so far, things kind of, you know how Martin Luther King Jr. said, the arch of history is long, but it bends toward justice. It, it, it's taken us a little while, you know, to get things right, and we're not there yet. But if you look at history, you know, it took, you know, we should have gotten the slavery thing right from the beginning in the Constitution. We had, a, we had about, you know, what was it, 80 years as a country of shame uh, with, with slavery. Um, there's shame. That's part of our history. Eventually, after a very, very painful war, horrible war, we, you know, America did away with slavery. Another hundred years, we had, we had uh, Jim Crow laws. We had, you know, separate but unequal. Took us another hundred years to pass civil rights kinds of legislation in the 1960s, but made a little baby step there toward justice. There is shame that is part of the history of the United States. I'm proud um, to be an American uh, in many respects, but no country, no group, I don't care whether it's the Wesleyan Church or the Baptist Church or what church you belong to, there is, and I'll say it again, there is no earthly group that is worthy to be compared to the kingdom of God. Our citizenship ultimately is in heaven. And if we begin, if we begin to confuse, if we begin to confuse any group to which we belong with the kingdom of heaven, that should set off all kinds of warning lights. Woot, 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 woot. Danger, danger. Uh, if you confuse your church, your country, your gender, whatever, if you confuse any earthly group with the kingdom of God and with heaven, that is a serious, serious problem. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do with this? Well, I can't tell you all the specifics of what to do with this because there's this thing called culture. These principles have to be lived out in culture. Um, and, you know, I used to think that kind of, I didn't say it this way, but I used to think, well, okay, Wesleyans, we don't have any culture. We, we know what God thinks. I used to think, isn't it amazing that I just happen to be born in the group that has it all right? Um, you know, what are, what are the odds? What are the odds that I would just be born in the church that has all the doctrine right? You know, I, I now know that that probably isn't true. Um, and, and so it, it takes effort for us to figure out how to live out the gospel because we have a culture too. Culture is a universal. We have a culture at Indiana Western University. I have a diet, I have an accent. I don't think I have an accent. Everybody else has an accent. No, I have an accent. I just don't realize it because I'm, the fish doesn't know that the fish is swimming in the water. And we don't recognize our culture. We, we've done some really horrible things in terms of making people in other cultures try to be like us when we weren't actually trying to make them be like the gospel. 
we were trying to make them be like our culture. I think of what uh, some Wesleyans uh, used to do with Native Americans, um, how um, the Wesleyan church thought, well, God wants the women to wear buns and to have only long dresses, and God wants the women to not have any, notice the men aren't mentioned, uh, God wants, well, men have to have short hair. But we, we thought, well, this is the Bible, right? This is what all Christians do. There's no culture here. This is biblical. And so uh, uh, when, when uh, uh, works were, were started among Native Americans, there was this sense, well, we, they, certainly dancing is evil, right? Um, dancing is associated with pagan gods, and therefore uh, Native Americans can't dance. But this was basically... Uh, inability to see our own culture and our own biases. And this is a, a truth. We can't tell people uh, in other cultures exactly how to play out the, the basic principles. We know love God, we love neighbor, but if I'm not, if I'm not there, I don't know how it plays out exactly uh, for other cultures and for other, other times. I will never be able to completely see myself um, and so we know there are some basic principles. We know that God is more redemptive than He is punitive. We know that when the gospel goes uh, both here and elsewhere, God is always wanting to reclaim people more than to punish them. We know, we know that. We know that's a principle. We know that God is more for unity than He is for division. We know that that plays itself out. We know that God wants us to submit to each other more than He wants us well, he doesn't want us to dominate each other. We know some of the big picture. We know some of the principles. But when it comes to knowing what it means to, to live as a citizen of heaven while we're down here on earth, we're going to have to get together and work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're going to have to pray together. We're going to have to strive together. But there is this one, one very firm warning that I want to leave you with this morning, and that is this that if you ever begin to confuse the group that you belong to with the kingdom of God, there's, a there's trouble, there's a problem. You need to go off and pray. You need to search yourself when you can't tell the difference between the group you belong to and the kingdom of God because there is a difference. And if we don't see the difference, then we've become idolaters. We've adopted things that aren't part of the kingdom of God. Well, I want, to, I want us to end this part, the worship band is going to come out and close us, but before the worship band comes out, I'd like us to, to pray for just a moment and a moment of silence and ask, Lord, is there any group to which I belong where I have confused the kingdom of heaven with a kingdom on earth? Is there any group? It could be a religious group. It could be my country. It could be my ethnicity. Is there any group to which I belong that I honestly can't tell the difference of where God begins and where my, my group ends. 